The Real Grim Shady, a collection of grim tales rewritten by Ian Smith. Hansel and Gretel, as told by me. Hard by a great forest dwelt a poor woodcutter, his two children, Hansel and Gretel, and their stepmother, a wicked woman, being a fan of the musical Wicked. And of course, several cats. They had little to eat, pray, or love in their hovel, and when great dearth fell on the land, the woodcutter knew something had to change. Something has to change, Marianne. Perhaps if there was more food instead of less, we wouldn't have this scarcity. George, that's a brilliant theory, but you know the contrarians would never go for it. Well, we have to do something. How are we to feed our poor children when we hardly have enough to feed ourselves and the cats? We could always eat the children. I hear some witches do that. Never! I'd rather eat the cats first. Not my babies! Then what can we do? I'll tell you what, George. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll take the children into the woods, tell them to count to a hundred, while we hide, and we'll sneak back home while they search for us, and we'll be rid of them once and for all. I will not defile hide-and-seek to sacrifice my children to the wild animals. Perhaps Red Rover somehow. Oh, you fool. Said she. That would never work, and then we must all four die of hunger. Our best course is to leave your kids in the woods, and that's that. And she left him no peace until he consented. George. 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 George, please. George. George, let's leave the kids in the woods. George. George. George, you're not listening. George. George. George! George! Fine! Fine, Marianne. We shall leave the kids in the forest tomorrow to be mauled by beasts and tell people they're staying over at my parents'. Now stop talking over family feud. There was a sex answer, and Steve's making that face. But Hansel and Gretel, not having the comedic palate to appreciate Steve Harvey's mannerisms, heard everything their stepmother had said to their father in the next room over. Oh no! Now all is over for us, Hansel! Don't worry, Gretel. I'll come up with a plan to save us so we can find our way home. But how? All that hide-and-seeking will surely disorient us and waste precious daylight. It will, but if I were to weave a trail of breadcrumbs behind us as we venture into the forest, we could wait until nightfall and follow them home. That's a brilliant theory, but you know the contrarians would never go for it. We don't even know if we'll get pieces of bread. Fine. They get one piece of bread each. But no crust! Hooray! Your plan will work after all, Hansel. After we're abandoned in the woods to die, we can return home like nothing ever happened. Of course, Gretel. Surely father and stepmother wouldn't use the same point twice and will have learned their lesson the first time after they see we've returned. But they didn't learn. And the second time, the woodcutter and his wife abandoned Hansel and Gretel in the forest under the guise of playing a game. Their stepmother gave them a much more stern warning. Now listen here. You broke the rules by leaving the play area last time. But you did first. Enough finger pointing, said she. Finger pointed at her pointed finger, aimed at Gretel. You two are to count to a hundred again. Search for us again, and you're not to come home until we've been found. Is that understood? Maybe. Good, I guess. Now, get counting and cover your eyes this time. It's weird when you're staring. Goodbye, children. I'll miss you. While you seek and be good, count in order. 
And don't look for me in any small caverns. <laughs> oh, Best we leave now. So, same as last time, we wait a few hours and follow the breadcrumbs home? Why, where did these breadcrumbs come from? I don't know. They look like they lead home. They must have been why we've had raccoons. Let's pick all these up. That is why we had raccoons. I saw them following us. How will we get home now? We're even deeper into the forest than last time and have no way of knowing how to get home. Maybe if I make a sacrifice to Slenderman, he'll show me the way. Stop looking at me like that, Guero, and put that rock down. I'll find us the way back. Don't you worry. But Hansel didn't find the way back, and they walked the whole night and next day too, eating their crustless bread and the few berries they found along the way. But suddenly, as they emerged from a thicket, Hansel and Gretel saw before them a house. Oh, Laurie, a house! And not just any house, a gingerbread house! And not just any gingerbread house, a full-scale gingerbread house! And not just any scale, but that of a regular house! Precisely! And it was, for when Hansel and Gretel approached, they saw the walls were made of gingerbread, covered in cake, with windows of clear sugar, there were even full-sized plastic army men frosted to the ground around it to be ironic. We will set to work on that and have a good, well-rounded meal. Sugar's at the top of the food pyramid for a reason, so let's eat as much as we can! I will eat a bit off the roof, and you can eat some of the window. And the two relieved their hunger with sweet treats until a soft voice cried out from the parlor, saying, Nibble, nibble, nah, nah. Who commits this great faux pas? What? Who the fuck is eating my house? The, the wind, wind, the wind, the heaven-born heaven wind. What? The wind! It's just the wind! Shut up and leave us alone! Leave the wind alone? Yes! yes! And Hansel and Gretel went back to their nibbling until the front door opened and a woman as old as the hills have eyes came creeping out and looked them up and down. You're not wind! What are you doing? Who brought you here? No one did. We wandered here on our own. Our parents abandoned us in the woods. And they took our bread trail to stop raccoons from going to the house. Oh, yes, I deal with a great many raccoons with my gingerbread home. Do come in, gingerbread side, and stay with gingerbread bee. I promise no ginger harm shall happen bread to you, and you can stay as long as you desire. That sounds too good to be true. That sounds too good to be true. It does come. And the old woman grabbed the two by the wrists and led them inside, where she set before them a wonderful feast of milk and pancakes, syrup, apples, and these nuts. Afterward, two little beds were made up with fresh linens for the two children to lay themselves down to sleep and pray the Lord their souls to keep as the old woman watched over them through the window outside. But it was an evil kind of watch. For the old woman was actually an evil witch who lures children to her gingerbread home to kill and eat them. I have them now. They shan't escape. I'll eat the boy first after I fatten his shape. And in the morning she grabbed Hansel with her shriveled hand and dragged him to the stable, where she locked him in behind a grated door before returning to Gretel. Where have you taken Hansel? And for what purpose? Clever of you not to just let that go. I've locked him in the stable to be made fat. And you're going to fetch some water so you can cook something good for him to eat. 
With what shall I fetch it, dear witch, dear witch? With what shall I fetch it, dear witch? With what? Use the bucket, dear Gretel, dear Gretel, dear Gretel. Use the bucket, dear Gretel, dear Gretel. Use the bucket. But there's a hole in the bucket, dear witch, dear witch. Oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, no! more of the walls in the night. Maybe. I thought you were both just getting up to go to the bathroom. That's where I ate the most. You ruined the structural integrity. I can't just bake new walls like before. I'm going to have to get a whole... I'm going to have to get a whole team out here. This is going to cost me a fortune. If it makes you feel any better, all the gingerbread I ate is why the toilet's clogged. Stop eating my house. I can't believe you. Now I have to call a plumber too. Oh, Hello. Do you do home restorations? <laughs> and does that include eating damage? <laughs> well, this is an emergency. I'm old, so you have to pity me. <laughs> Stop <laughs> that. Speak normal. I'm sorry. We can have somebody out there today in about... Oh, no. He's got a chainsaw. He's massacring us. We're in Texas. Well, I hope he wrote down my address because I'm not calling back. And as for your child, without water, we can still make your brother bacon babies in the oven. I've preheated it, but won't you be a dear and creep inside to make sure it's properly heated? But Gretel saw what the witch had in mind and knew she intended to shut the door behind her and cook her. So little Gretel came up with a plan, but it was too complicated to pull off. So she came up with a second simpler plan. I'm afraid I don't know how to get inside. Hansel might know. Perhaps we should get his expertise. Silly goose, said the evil witch. The door is big enough. I can get in myself. See? Oh, that's hot. Hey, what, what, what are you doing? Getting back to why I came here in the first place. Throwing my feelings away. Ah, there we go. No more abandonment issues. And now to free Hansel and return home somehow. Gretel ran like lightning to free Hansel from his cell, leaving the evil witch to burn and die, but realized she had to go back to the witch's burnt carcass and retrieve the key. Thank you for saving me, Gretel. I'm sure it wasn't too shocking to tug this key free from the witch's charcoal skin that melted onto it like sort of plastic. And the smell of burnt flesh can't be too troubling. I, uh, I don't want to talk about it. The good news is I no longer have an appetite. Father shall be pleased with this. Let's return home and tell him the good news. And so the two children wandered through the woods again for some hours of silent trauma processing before they appeared on the edge of the forest, safe and nearby their father's hobble. Won't father be happy to see us? And surely he and stepmother wouldn't leave us in the woods a third time. So this must be the end of our ordeal. Well, you know what they say. The longer we take to get home, the more time it'll take to get there. So the two children raced home, challenged the results of the race, burst through the door, and threw themselves around their father's neck. Hansel, Gretel, oh, I had not known an hour of happiness since our separation. Where's stepmother? She's dead! Really? How? The original story doesn't say, so no one knows if I did it or not. But if the police come asking, I was out in the woods with you two since Friday. I mean, 
you two didn't get into any trouble while you were out there, right? Well, I did kill a woman. And we destroyed her house with negligence. We were staying by my parents since Friday. But the good news is, without your stepmother around, there's enough food for us now and the cats, and I don't have to stop gambling after all. Hooray! They rejoiced for several hours, until later that day at the casino on his very next bet, the woodcutter won a large fortune, which he used to flee the country with Hansel and Gretel and change all of their names. Under new identities, the wood planter, Hansley, and Gretley lived out the rest of their days in perfect happiness in the Virgin Isles, having learned the valuable lesson. All gambling losing streaks must come to an end. Rapunzel There once was a man and a woman who lived atop a hill and had long in vain wished for a child. Oh, how I wish we could have a child, just one, with feet and hair and elbows like we've always dreamed. Now, Mary, I keep telling you that's not how having kids works. You can't just wish for them. Then how does it work, Daniel? You seem to be the expert. Show me! At length, the woman hoped that God would grant her desire. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And so he did. One day, the pregnant woman was looking out the window at the back of the house into the garden at the foot of their hill where a rampion, or Rapunzel, flower was growing fresh and green in the garden of an evil enchantress, whose great power was dreaded by the world over. Wife, what's wrong? Oh, how I wish I could have a rampion salad. Just one. With leaves and petals and a light vinaigrette like we've always dreamed. Now, Mary, wait just a minute. You heard the narrator. That's the evil witch's garden. No one dares go in there. It's surrounded by a high wall. It's just a flimsy wooden fence, Daniel. Just step over. My knees hurt. I'm not going in there. You'll just have to make do with regular food. But husband, if I can't eat the rampion from the witch's garden, I shall surely die. Oh, you're being dramatic. I'm not dramatic. I'm hormonal. Now get me that rampion. Not wanting to chance that his wife die in pregnancy like the five before her, the man waited for midnight before venturing out into the dark for the witch's garden below. This darkness is imprisoning me. All I see, absolute horror, I cannot- All this for a salad! After descending the hill in record time, the man clambered over the wall. Ow! Why are there rocks everywhere? and hastily clutched a handful of rampion to take home to his wife. She at once made a salad of it and ate it greedily, rubbing her hands together and going, <laughs> As her eyes darted back and forth, but the next day, the woman craved rampion three times as much as before. Just three rampion salads, Daniel, with leaves and petals and- I know about the vinaigrette. I'm not going back out, Mary. Not until we put in stairs on this hill. You see all these cuts and bruises? What I see is a man who wouldn't do anything for his dying, pregnant wife other than grab a shovel. Oh, 
That's cold, Mary. Just like your first five wives. Now get me that rampion! Bitter and heartbroken, the man ventured out again that very night, this time bringing a lantern and cleats, and made his way carefully down the hill and back into the witch's garden. Ow! Damn it. Are there more rocks now? Hey, what are you doing in my garden? <gasps> it's you, the witch. I'm not a witch. Why do people keep saying that? How did you know to wait for me in your garden, sinful sorceress? I could see your light all the way from your house. What are you doing out here? Oh, please, evil enchantress, spare me from your wickedness. I'm not evil. You people just piss me off with the name calling. Your cruelty is known across these lands. Don't make me a part of your infamy. That doesn't make sense. If I was an evil witch, why would I live on a farm at the bottom of a hill? Do you know how much water damage I get when it rains? Please, witch, control thine rage. I only seek rampion from my preggers' wife. My Rapunzel? So that's what happened to it? I wanted that. I pray of you, Necromancer. Just three salads more is all I ask. Then we can be done with this whole business and forget it ever occurred. No, I'm growing it for me. You obviously can't just have it. I see what evil arrangement your twisted mind has conjured. Fine, I agree. You can have our child when it is born in exchange for this rampion now, but I won't be happy. What? No, I don't agree to that. Drop my Rapunzel. Give it. Your devilish nature shines as true as the North Star, bitch. Hey. I said witch. The man returned to his wife with the Rapunzel and a story of how the vile enchantress terrorized him into consenting to the agreement that would rip their family apart. She nodded repeatedly as she ate her salad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. But missed key information due to loud chewing and giggling and was blindsided by the day of their daughter's birth when her husband insisted on giving the child up to the neighbor. You remember those Rapunzel salads? This is payment. I don't want your baby. Just take her already, you vile wench. And don't name her after the salads as a, as a painful reminder. Rapunzel grew into the most beautiful girl under the Tuscan sun. When she was twelve years old, the wicked enchantress shut her in a tower, deep in the forest, which had neither stairs nor chairs but a little window at the top. How she got up there, no one knows. But once there, the nefarious witch need only say, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me. Yes, it's me again. Who else would come out here? This isn't the time, Rapunzel. Just do it already. Maybe this attitude is why I couldn't stand living with you anymore. You ever think of that? Stop calling me a witch! And Rapunzel would unfasten her braided tresses for the witch to climb up. After a year or two, let's say two, it came to pass that the king's son was riding through the forest one day when he heard a song, which was so charming, he decided to hold in his poo a bit longer to stand and listen. Rapunzel, quit singing. We don't have the rights to that. The words are different. It's the same tune. Now, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let your hair down to me. Who are you? Are you my mother witch again? Yes, it's me again. Who else would come out here? Why didn't they put any stairs in this tower? Or chairs? My legs hurt. 
This isn't the time, Rapunzel. Just do it already. Maybe this attitude is why I couldn't stand living with you anymore. You ever think of that? Make me witch. Stop calling me a witch. The king's son stood behind a tree and watched Rapunzel let down her braids for the witch to climb. Ow. Ow. I'm almost there. If that is the ladder by which one mounts, I too will try my fortune, said the king's son, unclear of what exactly a ladder was, but getting the gist nonetheless. I shall return when it is dark and repeat the witch's words to make my way into the young girl's window where she will have no way of escape. Hardly anything strange about that. Nothing Roman Polensky wouldn't do. And so he did, for there was hardly anything strange about it at all. All right. It is unmistakably nighttime now. Just listen to those bugs, and that's how you know. <clears throat> Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair to me. Yes, it's me again. Who else would come out here? This isn't the time. What's that? What? What are you doing? It's the secret phrase for you to let me up. Don't do that. I was sleeping. It's nighttime. Don't you hear the bugs? I'll, ju I'll just let you up if you keep it down. All right. I'll just climb up this hair ladder of yours and be with you in a minute. Well, you're getting the gist of what a ladder is, but ow, ow. Yes, sorry, quite ow, sorry. damn it, ow. A quick climb is best. And there we are. Ah, fair maiden, we meet at last. At last? Do I know you? Yes. I heard you singing that unlicensed song before, and I knew then and there I had to meet you. The words were different. It doesn't matter that it was the same tune. All I know is... You may want to sit down for this. There aren't any chairs. Oh, odd. Well, here it goes. I love you. Will you marry me? Me, a now 14-year-old girl, marry an older man I just met after he heard me sing, waited until I was alone in the dead of night, and cornered me in my room? Why, of course I say yes! I'm sure you'll love me more than that evil witch ever will, and assuming that is all I need... There's only one way to find out if you're right. Now come quickly. There's a musk. Air doesn't circulate in here. There's only one window, but I can't leave. I have no way of putting down. Then I shall return tomorrow with a ladder and rescue you. Maybe ask someone what a ladder is. There's no time! In 24 hours, I will return. Now hold still. But the next day, before the king's son returned, Rapunzel let slip when the evil witch came to visit that she was much, much heavier, heavier than, than the king's son. He climbed up and down my hair in a moment last night. What? Last night? What happened last night? Don't overreact, witch. He woke me up from my slumber and we got engaged. There's hardly anything strange about it. Of course there is. A stranger broke into your room. You're a young child. It's nothing Roman Polanski wouldn't do. Don't use Roman Polanski as a standard. I won't let you marry. He loves me more than you. He doesn't know what ladders are, but I can fix him. I can't just send you out there to the desert to keep you safe. I'll have to wait for this prince here to set him straight. Oh, he's not a prince. He's just called the king's son. Fuck me! Not even a prince? All right, I'll wait here for the king's son. Jesus Christ. And so she did. She waited late into the night until the king's son returned, and there was no longer a reason to wait anymore. I have returned with a ladder! They call it a grappling hook, and the rope is remarkably similar to hair. Mm. 
We should try shampooing it later. Oh, hello, witch. What are you doing here? You cannot- Stop calling me a witch. You cannot marry Rapunzel. I won't have it. And what are you gonna do to stop me? Oh, come on. I'll- I'll use my evil witch powers to turn you into a toad. A frog? Toad. Now go and don't come back. Fine. I'll watch you from the tree line, Rapunzel. You will? No. That's it. I'm following out there to make sure you go. Let's see here. I just hold this rope like hair. That's the idea. This would be wonderful to shampoo. I bet... King's son, are you all right? Yes, but your mother, which doesn't appear to be. Uh, I think she's dead. I'm not dead. Did she say something? It sounded like she said something. No, I think I'm gonna go. What? W wait, she was the one bringing me food and water every day since I'm stuck up here. I suppose that falls on you now. Listen, I think we rushed into things. That son's not even that great. I, I think it's better if we're, if we're done. No, but... Rapunzel and the evil enchantress lived out their remaining few days until their deaths from starvation and blunt force trauma, respectively. The king's son went on to earn his princeship through the dunkless Turnier von Schlockens and eventually led his kingdom alongside his trophy wife, Tiffany, for a long time afterwards, happy and content. Which goes to show, never interfere with children and their stalkers. Little Red Riding Hood Once upon a time, there was a little girl who was loved by all who looked at her. The ones who didn't simply looked away. But she was loved most of all by her grandmother, and there was nothing she would not have given to the child. But she stopped herself at giving only a riding hood little in size and made with fine red velvet. One day, the little girl's mother said to her, Come on, little red riding hood. I need you to take something to your ill grandmother. That's not my name, Mom. And wear your little riding hood, the red one she made. She'll be thrilled to sit you in it. I don't want to. I hate wearing that. It's itchy. Too bad. Your entire identity is based on that little red hood for riding. Now, I need you to deliver her this piece of cake and bottle of wine to make her well again. I think she's just an alcoholic going through withdrawal. This could be good for her. She's sick, and this wine will make her well. Now, off with you before it gets too hot. And when you're going, walk nicely and quietly. And don't go off the path, and don't fall and break the bottle. And when you go in, say good morning, and don't peep in every corner before you do. And I know how to do it, Mom. The grandmother lived alone out in the woods, half a league from Red's village, to live in exile for blasphemy. Little Red had ventured the trail to her grandmother's many a time before and set out to make the shade of the forest before the hot midday sun sat high. But upon entering the woods, she was met by a wolf in sheep's clothing, which is to say no clothing because sheep don't wear any. Good day, Little Red Cap, said the wolf somehow. It's Little Red Riding Hood, and even that's not my name, said Red unaware of what a wicked creature a wolf was, and therefore not afraid of it in the least. 
you're not riding anything, but okay, Riding Hood. Where are you off to so early? Why, I'm going to see my grandmother. And where does she live? A good quarter of a league farther into the wood. Her house stands under three large oak trees with nut trees just below. Surely you must know it. That describes 80% of the forest, but yeah, I think I know the place. And what have you got in your apron for your grandmother? Cake and wine to stave off the shakes. She's quite ill. I love a cool grandma that be illin'. Does she do kickflips and shit? Not so much anymore. Well, why don't I escort you there to make sure you arrive safely? Stranger danger! Stranger danger! Get back! Little Red pulled out a pocket knife and thrust it towards the wolf to quickly and safely establish boundaries. Okay, alright, alright! I'm backing off, relax. I'll just... I'll be over here. In the woods next to the trail. That's fine, but you better not try to entice me over there. Mother gave me clear instructions not to venture from this path, and there's nothing you could think of that would make me. Hmm, said the wolf, or hummed, I guess, onomatopoeia. What a tender young creature and a plump mouthful. She will be a better feast than the old woman. And the cake, I'm sure, is good. I bet it's German chocolate because we're in Germany. (laughs) If I act craftily... I bet I can catch them both, and I think I know just how to do it. The wolf had a loony idea to the tune of ordering an obscure product from the Acme Corporation to help in his plan, but decided a wolf was too similar to a coyote, and there was a more original road to be a runner. Beep beep. Yes, perhaps that could work instead. I'd have to get her off the path for a short time to pull it off, and she said she won't, so I need to be very convincing. He walked for a short time longer next to Red's trail before remarking, Hey, what's it? Little Red walking? Riding Hood? Riding Hood, yes. Hey, have you seen these flowers over here off the path? (laughs) They're really nice. Sorry, you can't leave the trail. Oh, come on! I'm trying my best over here. Just humor me! Nope. Well, what about the birds? There's birds singing. I don't care. Why not? It's nice and you're walking so gravely, like you're going to school while everything out here is so merry. No. This is getting absurd. I could be blowing down houses right now. The wolf, on the verge of giving up, nearly came when a final idea presented itself. Do you play Pokemon Go? Yeah. There's a Snorlax over there. That should buy me some time. Now under step two of my plan, where I go to the grandmother's house, kill and eat her, put on her clothing if it looks comfy, and wait for a big red so I can eat her too. The perfect plan. I hope I didn't send her off for too long. I don't want that cake to go bad. The wolf followed the trail toward the grandmother's house and questioned if he was doing things out of order and should just kill and eat little red and her cake now and the grandmother later. But plans are plans, I thought to myself, and he decided he would go the convoluted route to appear more cunning. A short walk later, the wolf found a small cottage among three large oak trees and several nut trees. This must be the place, knocked the wolf. Hello? Hello, who's there? Your granddaughter? Which one? Oh, crap. What was her full thing? It's uh, uh, Little Red... Walking. Riding? Riding, that's it. Oh, Little Red Riding Hood, my only grandchild, come to visit me at last. I hope you brought me something. That's yeah, a bit entitled, but I guess she did. 
Yeah, yeah, she did. I, I'd rather cake and wine. German chocolate cake, I hope. Obviously. What country do you think this is? Bavaria. God, you're so old. Okay, Grandma, it's fine. Let me in now. Lift the latch. Called out the grandmother. I'm too weak and cannot get up. And with that, the wolf lifted the latch, sprang the door open, went straight into the grandmother's bedroom, and devoured her like Bavarian chocolate cake. Granddaughter? I'm gonna kill and eat ya! Come here! Oh, no! Come here! Oh, <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh, that hurts! Oh, my God! Why are you at least chop me up first? This is highly impractical for you to just do it in one go like this. Shut up, come on! This, oh, you're making it weird. Oh, oh, come here! Oh, it's so painful. It's really cushy and heat. Why are you eating it? Oh, my goodness. It's fa- Oh, you are. This smells so bad. This smells He then went through her clothing until he did find an outfit that looked comfy and proceeded to lie in the grandmother's bed for Little Red. Little Red Riding Hood, however, had been running about catching Pidgeys and Zigzagoons in search of a promised Snorlax, but to no avail. That fucker! He must have lied to me to get me in trouble later for wandering off the trail! Oh, Mother will be so disappointed in me! I guess I learned my lesson to never trust a wolf. Right? Narrator? Is this the end of my story? And I can have an uneventful visit with my grandmother? All right. Let's go see what this shit's about. Little Red found her way back to the path and continued on to her grandmother's. She was surprised to find, upon arriving, the cottage door standing wide open and cautiously went inside. Hello, grandmother. What was it again I was supposed to say? Good morning. I know it's afternoon now, but are you in? Yes, dearie. I'm right back here. Why don't you drop your guard and come give me a hug? All right, grandmother. I'll bring the cake and wine I have for you. I know how you love to eat when you're tipsy. And don't worry, I won't look in every corner before I do like last time. Mother told me. Oh, my grandmother, what big ears you have. The better to hear you with, my child. And what big eyes you have. The better to see you with, my dear. Ugh, and those big hands. It's disgusting. They're so hairy. Well, that I, I think is common when you get older. And your voice. You don't sound the same. Are you okay? Maybe you're misremembering. And you reek. I mean, you were bad before, but you smell like wolf pee now. Are you bathing? Wolf pee is known to treat certain ailments like... And your mouth is so big. Ugh, and there's plaque everywhere. All the better to eat you with. The mouth, not the plaque. And scarcely had this been said, the wolf bound out of bed and swallowed up Little Red and lived happily ever after. Until one day, that very same day in fact, and only moments later, a huntsman was passing the house in search of a rumored talking wolf, and he decided to peep in the window. 
I bet I could throw a good scare into whoever lives here. After all, there's no real law yet saying I can't look in people's windows. <laughs> and how could they prove it? No way anyone would believe them when I'm the one with a gun. Let's just take a look in here. Now where are you? What's this? A wolf on a bed? That's hysterically ironic, and I wonder if perhaps this is the talking wolf for which I search. Well, there's no real law yet saying I can't walk into people's homes. And the door is open as well. What luck! There's much any good defense attorney could use. A huntsman crept inside and looked in every corner before finding his way to the bedroom where the wolf was fast asleep. A slow sleep, it seems. Hmm. I have long sought you, talking wolf. Your skin will be mine for the wearing. The huntsman aimed his musket at the wolf, but stopped himself when upon seeing the wolf's stomach wriggling as if something were struggling inside. Hmm, perhaps that is the owner of the house inside the belly of the wolf. If I were to free them, and then scare them by peeping through the window, surely they'd invite me to stay the night. And the huntsman set about searching for scissors, which he found and used to cut open the stomach of the wolf with two snips. He saw a hood, red and little, and with two snips more, could tell it was a hood for riding, and with a final two snips, the little girl tumbled out of the wolf's stomach, alongside what was left of her deceased grandmother's shredded corpse. Ew. Ah, how dark it was inside that wolf. Thank you, Huntsman, for saving me from that talking wolf. So, it is the talking wolf I'm after. What wonderful, unprovoked exposition. I shall be a very rich man once I show everyone I've killed the great talking wolf. Wouldn't you need it to be alive for you to prove it talks? Otherwise, it could just be any wolf? Crap, you're right. Oh, well, I can still make something with the skin, I bet. Let me at that body. But in that moment, the wolf's corpse did change. Its snout, paws, tail did rearrange. To take on a new look that's strange from the one that they had known. In the cold daylight, they confirmed by sight that this wolf just might, might have been Raven's moan. What the hell is going on? I'm sure a commercial will explain it like last time. Well, I'm not taking a person's skin. Was this your house? My grandmother's. And is that her? Yeah. I don't want her skin either. I'm going to ransack the house now. You can't stop me and no one will believe you. There's also no real law yet that says I can't. I don't think you understand the law. Bingo, and that's the secret. Well, what should I do then? What am I, your master of puppets, pulling your strings, twisting your mind, and smashing your dreams? Go home, I don't care, I'm busy. And so Little Red Riding Hood returned home with the cake and wine and told her mother all about the talking wolf, her grandmother's death, and how the huntsman who saved her from Raven Simone before looting the house, to which her mother did not believe a word and punished Little Red for her laziness. The huntsman made off with much of the grandmother's belongings and sold her many precious heirlooms for a quick profit, which grew into a small fortune fast, for which he was able to live off of for the remainder of his days, fulfilled and happy, never forgetting the lesson that talking animals are more valuable alive than dead. But if you do kill one, there's no real law that says you can't steal. In a world where crime doesn't pay, a 
unless it's organized crime. Hey, boss, it's payday for all the crimes we sorted and organized. Oh, that's right. Here you go. And the police are helpless to save their city. Officer, help! That man stole my baby! What do you want me to do? Arrest him? Yes! Get out of here, egghead! One hero will risk nothing but money since his family is dead. My rich parents died when I was a kid. What's the problem, Commissioner? Man, like a bat, thank the four prisons of a great overwatch that you're here. It's this child. He's turning celebrities into animals only for them to turn back when they die. Don't tell me he did that with the clone of Raven Simone. He did. Who is this child? Corbunka Dunk. One child out for revenge. Well, I'll show them. I'll show them all what happens when someone with a ridiculous name lives under a bridge with a strange man and his magic birthday candle. Will terrorize those who terrorized him. I wish Colin Hanks was a muskrat until he dies by way of making celebrities turn into animals until they die. Corbunkadunk, are you still playing with that candle? Yeah. <sighs> okay. With time running out, one man must find a way. Man like a bat, we're losing celebrities left and right. Then stop putting turn arrows. No, you need to find this kid and stop him, and theoretically the birthday candle he's using to wish for this. Is that, is that the leading theory here? A birthday candle? Of course! to save celebrities from being turned into animals before it's too late. I'm Jennifer Coolidge. Oh no, what's happening? Squawk! Squawk! No one is safe, and there's nowhere to run. This is Morgan Freeman, and I've always figured either get busy dying, or you get busy turning into a goat. <laughs> Coming this Christmas. Ah, oh, you finally found my secret lair under the bridge, man like a bat. It's over, Kabunkadunk. End this madness. You know, madness is a lot like gravity. All it needs is a little light. What does that even mean? I wish man like a bat was a bat until he died. What? No! Get ready for your hearts to melt from the fiery fists of justice. What's happening? Why aren't you changing? Because I am bat! Sir Ian McKellen presents Pelicandle Under the Bridge 2, Blood and Slaughter. You want to know how I got these scars? Nah. In theaters everywhere, December 25th. Rated PG-13 for bro selling his subtext. The Elves and the Shoemaker There was once a shoemaker, Randy Shoemaker, who worked very hard making shoes and was very honest. You can trust him on that. You have no reason not to. He could even hook you up with luxury accommodations for a music festival on Pablo Escobar's island, if you have the money. But despite his noble work ethic and humble superiority, he could not make a living selling his shoes. It's that damn shoe store next to us, Barbara. They undercut our prices every chance they get. 
One shoe over the shoe shoes nest prices their shoes reasonably. You're the one all over the place, Randy. Who's going to come in and pay $200 for clogs? Spider-Man clogs. They're for kids. They're not even a kid's size. For kids to see, Barbara. Adults wear them and kids gander. Well, they're the only inventory we have left since we had to sell everything else dirt cheap to make ends meet. You don't know how to run a business, Randy. Why don't you ask your brother for help? After the Bassoon incident, I'd rather die. We're just gonna have to get second jobs. I wonder if they're hiring next door. Speaking of which... Randy opened the door to the bustling street outside, where, amongst scores of shoe shoppers of all shapes and shoe sizes, came the manager of the store next door. Hey, Brian. Oh, hey, Randy. When are you going to stop fucking with my livelihood? Randy! What? You're a piece of shit, Brian. Randy, that's enough! What'd I do? You undercut my prices because you hate my soul, Brian. Fuck you! That's enough, Randy! Prices are set by corporate, asshole. Wow, I don't want to go there to buy shoes anymore. Let's shop next door at One Shoe Over the Shoe Shoes Nest. I hope they have Spider-Man clogs. See, Randy, you're driving away business. We can't go on like this. Randy stood amongst his deserted shelves and looked over the lone pair of clogs, his spidey sense a tingle. What if I knock these down to 150, Barbara? No! Fine. I have leather enough to make one more pair of shoes. I'll make them tomorrow, price them reasonably, and if they sell, I could hopefully buy leather to make more. Oh, look at you, figuring out how business works. Things are really going to turn around for us. And things did turn around, for the door Barbara needed to get through was behind her. She left Randy to cut out his leather for the final shoe he'd make the next morning returning only when she heard the front door. You guys have a bathroom? Paying customers only. Fine, I'll get the Spider-Man clogs. One fifty. Oh, fuck you! Fuck you, shithead! Take a hike! That night, Randy and Barbara went peacefully to bed, consciences clear and hearts light, leaving all their troubles up to heaven. But the next morning, when Randy took to his workbench to bench some work, he was flabbergasted, to gast his flabbers, when he discovered the shoe stood already made. Honey, I think there's a ghost. Get the vacuum. No, it's upstairs. Why do you think there's a ghost? I didn't make the shoe in the night. Did you? Me? Of course not. Shoemaker is just a last name. How does the shoe look? Can we sell it? Randy looked over the workmanship. There was not a false stitch in the whole job, and all was neat and true, like Keanu Reeves. It's perfect, down to the last detail. There's no way you could have made it then. I wonder what happened. Excuse me, I'm looking for a pair of shoes, preferably leather with no false stitches. Neat and true would be a plus. I love Keanu Reeves. Why, yes, we have that right here, in fact. Wonderful! Are they my size? They certainly are. Fantastic! I hope they're reasonably priced. They're the most reasonably priced shoes in the store. Good. I saw the clogs. That's crazy. One fifty. They're on sale. The customer tried on the leather shoes and found they suited him so well, he willingly paid the asking price before using the bathroom. 
The poor shoemaker was able to buy leather enough to make two pairs more with his money, and when he returned that afternoon with it, he set about cutting his pieces and went to bed early again, that he might rise at dawn and make his shoes. But in the morning, after he said his prayers, Satan, full of grace, my soul is with thee, blessed. The shoemaker went again to his workbench, where his flabbers gassed like never before. Well, fuck me with a cactus for charity. Honey, get in here. It happened again. A second 9-11? No, the shoes. They're just like Keanu Reeves again, both pair. I'm telling you, there's something strange in this neighborhood. Well, who are we gonna call? If it's really a ghost, we can stay up tonight and see if it returns and makes more. If... I sell these to buy more leather. Barbara, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But soon after, a pair of possible acquaintances entered the shoemaker's shop with gusto, albeit not much, in search of a pair of pair of shoes. Can I help you two find something? Yes, we're looking for what the narrator said because we're twins. We're twins! We dress alike so everyone knows! We want everyone to know we're twins because it's true! Our faces sort of look alike, but with the clothes, it's obvious! It's obvious to everyone now that we're twins, but we need shoes. We need shoes. Do you need shoes? We need shoes, and they need to match. We need to match because we match! Because we're twins! Is that all you have? You're just twins? You don't have any personality beyond that? It's just... That you two are born at the same time and everyone needs to know? Shut up. Shut up. It's a twin thing. Do you have the pair of pair of shoes or not? Yeah. Right here. Like Keanu Reeves. Look at that. The two left in their matching boots to prove a point to the world, leaving Randy enough money now for leather to make four shoes. That night, he again cut his leather, laid it on his workbench, and he and Barbara stayed up, hiding behind the curtains to see what spirit cobbled their shoes. But, to their surprise, it wasn't a specter who emerged and began sewing shoes like a child working for Nike, but instead two small naked elves. Randy, look! They must be the ones who've been doing your job better than you ever did! Yes, I see them. The ghosts of those two naked elves most likely haunt these grounds, leaving no unfinished work to be had as revenge for the Industrial Revolution. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Let's throw a good scare into them. Obviously. Ah! Oh, shit! Hey, what the hell? What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you have against the Industrial Revolution? Nothing. Increased efficiency means lower prices. Why are you jumping out and scaring us? We're just trying to help you. But but why help? Why come in at night to make our shoes? And why are you naked? So our farts don't stain our clothes. And we're trying to help you so you can beat out one shoe over the shoe shoes nest next door. They kicked us out over there. No shirt, no shoes, no service policy. How can you wear shoes in there if you can't get in to buy the shoes? That's a good point. It might have been more about the no shirt part. It doesn't matter. Do you want help taking Brian down or not? The shoemaker thought to himself, thanking the depths of hell the only policy he had was you break it, you fuck it. I suppose we could work together to put Brian out of business. Good, because no one's going to buy Spider-Man clogs at that price. They're down to one twenty-five. Uh, that's still too much. Well, what's the plan then? How do we drive Brian out of town and get all the business? 
The elves explained their plan was to make shoes so well made they could garner Brian's attention and lure him over to investigate. And when he does come over here, we'll have a bunch of traps waiting for him. Just like that documentary about the kid that was home alone. If that's what you think is best, that this is our shoe store and we have to defend it. And the four of them spent the rest of the night leaving out toy cars and marbles, hanging irons on doorknobs, tying paint cans to strings, and making memories they'd cherish for a lifetime. All while an escaped tarantula crawled unnoticed. Do you guys have a basement? I have an idea for the tar and nails. Mm, no basement. Oh well, I'd probably get scared of the furnace. Quick! Somebody's here! Hide! The four took to their hiding positions and watched stealthily as Brian entered and looked around. Hey, Randy? I just wanted to come by before I started my shift next door. I saw a couple people with some really nice shoes, reminded me of Keanu Reeves a bit, and they said they bought them here. I just got this weird idea that maybe elves or something were making them. I don't know. It sounds dumb saying it, but I just, by more, I wanted to check in. A lot of marbles and toy cars on the ground, huh? You know I can see you two behind the curtains, right? You're, You're not really hidden at all. Now! Holy shit! It is an elf! He's dead! The paint can on the string worked and we can corner the shoe market! I can jack up all our prices. And we'll be richer than our wildest dreams, like we've always dreamed. Because that's the American way! And it was. The shoemaker changed his store policy to what are you going to do about it? In response to criticisms for the staggeringly high prices he'd placed on shoes the elves continued to make, which they did in exchange for using the store to settle more scores. The shoemaker and his wife lived out the rest of their days, happy and wealthy, until the townspeople revolted in the summer of 38 in what is today known as the Tuesday Shoes Day Massacre, in which the shoemaker, his wife, and the elves were boiled alive as penance for their greed. Which just goes to show, Brian doesn't set shoe prices, those are set at corporate. Tom Thumb There once was a poor woodsman who sat one night in his cottage, smoking a pipe by the fireside, with his wife spinning by his side. How lonely it is, wife, said he, as he puffed out a long curl of smoke. I'm right here, asshole, said she, extremely dizzy and nauseous, but finding the courage to go on. The narrator meant spinning, like spinning yarn. Well, that's the most ridiculous. Oh my. Sit down a minute. Oh, Jesus. But as I said, spinning yarn is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What, I just take a piece of yarn and spin it around in the air like, hey, that's not bad. Oh, fuck, that's impressive. Look at it go, it's flying. I've never seen anything like this in all my goddamn life. The woodsman's wife went on with this for some minutes in a mesmerizing haze until suddenly the yarn disappeared in an unexplainable occurrence you just had to be there to see. Wow, I wouldn't believe that happened if I hadn't seen it just now. But I mean to say, 
How lonely it is for us to have no children to play with and amuse us while others seem so happy and merry. But children are loud and dumb and I like sleep and money. I bet all those problems could be solved if the child never grew more than the size of a thumb. Oh, I should be very happy and love it dearly if our child would be the size of a thumb. I wonder if caffeine and nicotine during pregnancy would do the trick. The woodsman's wife's hypothesis was correct. As nine months after a sloppy cream pie, she gave birth to a boy, quite healthy and strong, but not much bigger than a thumb. So they said, Well, we can't say we didn't get what we wished for. As little as he is, we shall love him dearly and name him Tom Thumb. But our last name is Berlowitz. Tom Berlowitz Thumb was given plenty of food, but never grew bigger than the size he was born. Still, he showed himself to be a clever little boy, who always knew well what he was about, whatever that means. One day, the woodsman was readying to cut wood for fuel when he remarked, I wish I had someone to take the cart after me. I want to make haste, which apparently means I can't take the cart myself. Oh, father, cried out Tom from the couch. I can take care of that. Oh, sorry, Tom, I didn't see you there. Ow, you bitch! Maybe we tie a balloon to him or something. With the helium shortage? I don't need a balloon! I can take care of myself and the cart, father! But how? Especially without the balloon. Well, if mother would harness the horse and place me in the horse's ear, I could tell which way to go. That's not how steering horse works. It won't understand. That's an excellent idea, Tom. We shall try it at once. When the time came, the mother harnessed the horse, put Tom in its ear, and sent the cart on its way. All right, Tom. Have fun. I will. Okay, boy. Left. Left. No left. Left! Go left, you dumb horse! Left! Okay, this was a bad idea. Mom? Mom? This isn't how steering horses work. Mom? Help me! Oh, God! Left! Left! And thus, the horse went on, just as if no one had driven it at all. It happened soon that the horse rode past two strangers on the trail. Mm, what an odd thing that is. No, that's just a horse. They're like hardy deer. Of course I know what a horse is. I'm not an idiot. I mean the horse pulling that weird contraption of sorts with no carter. Somebody, I need help. But I hear one. Hello? Can you hear me? Boy, Joe, this horse can talk. No, someone put peanut butter in its mouth to make it look that way. I'm not the horse. I'm the little boy trapped in the horse's ear. Boy, you, this horse has a split personality. Oh, no, I see him. Hello, little boy in the horse's ear. My, you must be nearly the size of my index finger. What's your name? Tom Bertolowitz Thumb. I'm trying to get this cart to my father who's cutting wood in these woods. Would you help me get to him? We would. What are you doing? We don't have time for this. What about Diane's intervention? I have a plan. We take this boy to his father, buy him, and carry him town to town as a show, making ourselves a great fortune. A perfect plan it is. I've always wanted to travel. All right, Tom, we'll take you to your father. And so Tom guided the two strangers to his father. 
and inquired about buying the boy. Absolutely not. My own flesh and blood is dearer to me than all riches you possess at the moment. But he'll be better off with us. We'll even leave you with the talking horse. What do you say, woodsman? But Tom, hearing of the bargain, crept up to his father's coat and whispered, Take the money, father. And buy that boxing pay-per-view. I'll find my way back to you soon. Are you sure? Sure. And with this, the woodsman agreed to sell Tom to the two strangers and went home to see Logan Paul clearly signal before knocking out Tyron Woodley. The three found their way out of the woods and continued towards the nearest town, discussing how best to attract an audience to see Tom. I say we get there and just start screaming real loud with knives so everyone notices. Great idea. I'll cover myself in pig's blood too so they know we're up to something. It'll be a while until we're there, kid. Where would you like to sit for the trip, Mr. Burlowitz? Said one of the two, before discovering Tom was already gone. What did you do? He's around here somewhere! Look on the ground! But Tom was already scurrying through the fields to find a place to hide until morning. This barn should be a fine hiding place for the night. I can cocoon myself up in this hay. And stay nice and safe until the morning. <sighs> What's happening? Why is it so wet and dark? Stop eating me, cow! No more hay! No more hay! Tom went over two in communicating with animals as the cow continued to eat him, and a plethora more hay, until he found himself nestled in the cow's stomach which was much warmer and safer than his hay cocoon. But it just so happened this night that a maid wanted to get a head start on the next day's milking, so she could get a good night's sleep during the day for a full day's work she had planned for that night. She found her cow in the barn acting not suspicious, but in a suspicious way, like cows are known to do and proceeded to feed it hay to gather a sense of its true intentions. But when she did, she heard a small voice say, No more hay, I say! No more hay! What the cock-fuck? Who speaks? I hear your words, but see no evil. Are you the cow? The cow? You are? Jiminy, Jillikas, I have to go tell the parson. She ran off as fast as she could to retrieve her master, the parson and brought her out to the barn to see the talking cow for herself. Hilda, you're hallucinating. Animals can't talk. Only people turned into animals can. What this cow did, I'll swear it. You'll see for yourself. You're tired. You're up all night working and then trying to sleep all day. You're sleep deprived. I'm getting a jump on the day. You're going insane. Go in and see. The parson followed the maid inside not trusting her in her state, and was led to the cow. Is this the cow? Yeah. Hilda, there's this great hospital only two days away that can make you well. I talked to Dr. Winky Fotz about their inpatient program. No more hay! No more hay! Why don't animals know English by now? Is that? I told you, see? You're the crazy one, not me. We have to 
Kill it. Surely it is bewitched. Cut its body up and never assemble it again. And so the maid did, never realizing Tom was trapped in the cow's stomach, which she threw on a dunghill, where soon a hungry wolf sprang out and swallowed up the whole stomach in one gulp, with Tom inside. Tom, however, was not disheartened, and thinking the wolf may enjoy a chat, and keeping in mind the rule of three for him talking to animals, Tom called out to the wolf. My good friend, I can show you a famous street. What? Who said that? You can understand me? Of course I can understand you. I was Anthony Hopkins before that birthday candle. Well, if you're hungry still, I can lead you to a rich pantry where you'll find cakes, ham, beef, Apple dumplings, roast pig, and everything your heart can wish. How about old new barbecue truffle whopper from Burger King? The one of the white truffle sauce dribbled over warm onion strings with barbecue sauce? Exactly. But don't forget about that crisp lettuce which pairs so well with the flame-grilled patties. And I love that for only $6.99, you can get it with a combo of medium fry and medium drink. For a limited time only. But no. There isn't one of those in there. I'm sure you'll find something else, though. I guess I've got nothing to lose. How do we get there? And will we pass a Burger King? Tom described his childhood home and landmarks to help the wolf find it and told him of a drain pipe he could use to sneak into the kitchen in the dead of night. The wolf did not need to be told twice, as three times would suffice, and set about searching for Tom's home which she finally found at the stroke of midnight. I can't believe that carriage turned into a pumpkin just as we got here. So you say I can get in through that grate up ahead in this pipe? Yep, and that'll lead you right into the kitchen. What's that smell? What am I crawling in? It's a drain pipe. What do you think you're in? Poopy! It's gotta go somewhere. Come on, we could have gone through a window or something instead. Well, I don't smell anything. Fuck you. Alright. I'm in the kitchen. Where's this pantry? In the corner. The wolf went to the pantry and ate and drank to his heart's content. But as soon as he had enough and wanted to get away, the wolf realized he had eaten too much. He could not get out the way he had come in, which, as it turns out, was precisely Tom's plan, and not just an odd occurrence. And he began shouting and making all the noise he could. Will you be easy? You'll wake everyone in the house with that clatter, and it's making me uncomfortable. What's that to me? Said little Tom. You've had your frolic. Now it's my time to make merry. What's all this racket? Did someone find hidden barbecue truffle whoppers in pantry? What the hell? Honey, get in here. What is it? Are the whoppers okay? Yeah, the wolf. I shall kill it with my axe like the strong masculine woodsman I am. It's not made of wood. It'll never work. Get the gun. No, shoot. It's me, your son, in the wolf's stomach. Tom, is that you? What did I tell you about getting eaten? Get out of there this instant. I'm trapped, but the wolf is too full to fight back. Kill it now and save me! Please don't. I can explain. I, I, I...
The woodsman beat the wolf's skull in until it transformed back into Anthony Hopkins, and Tom was able to crawl his way to freedom, where he was happily reunited with his parents again. Oh, Tom, what fears we've had for you. Where have you been, Tom? I've traveled all over the world, in one way or another. That's flat out untrue. I was down a mouse hole and in a snail shell, which were both cut for timing, and down a cow's throat, and in a wolf's stomach, but here I am again, safe and sound. That really isn't traveling the world, and you're grounded for lying, but we are glad you are back again. And we promise to never sell you for all riches of the world. Then they hugged and kissed their dear little son like never before, and locked him in his room to be alone for the duration of his grounding. After two weeks, they rejoiced at being together again, and grew quite fond of little Tom's retelling of his journey, which he was sure to make clear did not take him around the world. Tom grew to stay the same size until his death some years later from a botched colonoscopy. Having learned the lesson, there's no place like home. Rumpelstiltskin By the side of the woods in a country a long way off, but not too long that the story didn't travel, ran a fine stream of water. So fine, in fact, that I'll save this story for another day, and instead tell you about a similar stream in a similar part of the world, where upon that stream stood a mill, and upon that mill was a log with branches and bumps, and upon one of the branches was perched a little frog, and upon that was a fleck of a speck on the tail of the frog, on a branch, on a bump, on the log, on the mill, on the stream, at the bottom of the sea. The miller's house was nearby, and the miller, you must know, had an unwed daughter. She was, moreover, very shrewd and clever, and the miller was so proud of her that for some reason he told the king she could spin straw into gold. Straw to gold, you say, Miller? Well, I say that in jest, my king. And are you a jester, Miller? No, but... Then your word is your bond, under penalty of death. Straw to gold. Imagine, Miller, destabilizing our currency every harvest to throw the populace into turmoil. The inflation, the desperation, all the crime. The people would beg for martial law, and they shall have it. My soldiers will deliver my justice, and the streets will run red with the fruits of their vicious slaughter. And once all are dead, I will be king of no one. Just imagine, Miller. Imagine the paradox. King Nothing will call me, asking where my crown was. Are you okay, my liege? Mad? Me? I didn't say that. Would an insane man believe your daughter could turn straw to gold and kill his people? 
that's what I'm gathering here. Then it's decided I shall take your daughter back to my castle, where she will make me a rich man. And then all day long, I'd pity, pity bum if I were a wealthy man. What's going on, father? I just woke up. <gasps> the king? What are you doing here? He was hunting in the forest, as he does, and he stopped by. And your father has done me the mistake of telling me of your gift. The socks? Your ability to spin straw to gold, my dear. What? What are you talking about? That's dumber than elves making shoes. Nobody's stupid enough to believe something like that. That's what I thought. And yet, here we are. Guards! Take her to my straw room. No, Take me you instead. Can't do this. I hate Get knowing. off of me. No, oh, wait, no. The miller's daughter was whisked away to a chamber in the king's palace, where there was a great heap of straw next to a spinning wheel, and said to her, All this must be spun into gold by morning, or else. Or else what? Chicken butt. Now get to work. Your life depends on it. But if you are successful, I shall make you my queen. But this was all just a silly boast by my father. No one can actually spin straw into gold. Oh dear, now what shall I do? She sat down in one corner of the room, although unable to determine which, and began to bewail her hard fate. When suddenly the door opened again. Weep, 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 weep. What's going on? King, is it you? You've shrunken a good two feet eight inches, and your face is entirely different. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not the king. Your voice is strange too, and you appear to have amnesia. <laughs> I'm an entirely different person. I've heard someone saying weep over and over, and I wanted to see what that was about. Alas, she said to the dwarf, I must spin this straw into gold by morning, but I know not how. Or else what? Chicken butt. But if this straw is turned into gold, he will make me his queen. <laughs> and what will you give me to complete your task for you? Well, I suppose I could give you this ring on my finger. What size is it? Seven. And this is a candy gem on top? It's blue raspberry. Mm, you're lucky I'm a slut for ring pops. But it's not enough. How about my necklace as well? I haven't seen a candy necklace in years. Okay, but I still want more. How about I give you my firstborn child when I am queen? Mm, a baby can go for 20000 on the Black Plague market. Okay, I will spin this straw into gold. Huzzah! And the man took her at her word and sat himself down at the wheel, where he spun straw into gold, while whistling and singing... Round about, round about, lo and behold, reel away, reel away, thrall into gold. And round about the wheel went merrily, spinning straw into gold faster than you could say Rumpelstiltskin 14,000 times. Wow, I can't believe you spun all this straw into gold in just over three and a half hours. 
What is your name? Why, you don't need it. I want to know what to call you. Niroma, wanderer, nomad, vagabond, call me what you will. How about friend? That's corny. We'll just leave it at nothing, whoever you are. Yeah, that's the thing about grim stories. Most people don't have names in them. Everyone's just the woodsman or the fire marshal. The miller's daughter was right, and she was left by the dwarf to await the king's return in the morning, where he proclaimed, Gadzooks! Look at all of this gold! This must have taken at least four hours! You'd be surprised! Either way, the people will be very pleased by this before they realize it is their first step in their downfall! Fine work, Miller's daughter. I shall make you my wife at once, and together we'll reign as our nation eats itself alive from the inside. Are you okay, my liege? Mad? Guards! Summon the priest for our marriage at once. It's a nice day for a white wedding. The king kept his word and married the miller's daughter that very hour. As queen, she became quite pregnant, her stomach's growth mirroring the populace's violent, bubbling hatred over the financial crisis. At the birth of her first child, she was very glad and had forgotten all about the dwarf and their arrangement until one day, when she was sitting with the baby, he came into her room and reminded her of it instantly. Oh, it's you, the nomad vagabond who spun straw into gold all those months ago. I'm aware it's me, and I'm aware we had a little arrangement I've come to collect on. I gave you the ring pop already. The baby! You promised me your firstborn when you were queen! I did no such thing. You did! Well... Maybe if my back was against a wall, I would have agreed to something like that. It was your idea. Play it back. Candy necklace in years. Okay, but I still want more. How about I give you my firstborn child when I am queen? Okay, but I had no more candy jewelry to give. What did you expect of me? I expect you to stay true to your word. Now hand the child over. What was that noise? Who's shaking chipmunks? Who are you? We had to replay a part of the story. And I'm the dwarf who is to take your child home with me. Over my mad carcass. Guard! Yes, my liege. Stab this dwarf with your sword to hurt him. At once, my liege. Oh, fuck no! Hold on, hold on a second. We can work something out. If my marriage can't work out, why should this? Because. Because we can make a deal. How about this? If you can guess my name during the next three days, I'll let you keep the baby. Edward. Not you. A fine deal it is. What say you, king's wife? Do you agree to these terms? I suppose it's my only choice. All right, said she. Starting tomorrow, I will try to guess your name. And if I don't guess correctly in the next three days, you can keep my... Wait a minute. 
I've seen you before. Ooh, me? Yeah, you were bathing in the stream earlier, washing your little bum, singing and dancing. Well, that must have been someone else. What was the song you were singing? Melly, I'll dance and sing For the next day a stranger will bring Little does my lady dream Lumpersted skin is my name I've never heard of those words in my life <laughs> That was it, I remember Because it rhymed until the end That is quite odd Seems lazy to me So that's your name, is it? Rumpelstiltskin? Can we see the dance? Look, you said starting tomorrow, so so this doesn't count! Whatever you say, Rumpelstiltskin. Stop that! I'm taking the baby! You can't, Rumpelstiltskin! No, 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 he's breathing now! Stop saying my name! What? What's this? What's going on? We're the people, and we're mad you created the financial collapse that's ruined this housing market. And destroyed my designer luggage business. And we can't afford to eat. People, people, we're in the middle of something here. Can you all go back outside and my soldiers can kill you there? Your soldiers are all dead. We're overthrowing this monarchy for a democratic dictatorship like we've always wanted. And then we can eat. Having successfully said the dwarf's name, the miller's daughter and her child were able to live out the rest of their lives together with the king in their castle, now breached with revolutionaries demanding blood, although you could call it a normal tourist visit. The democratic dictatorship they installed failed to meet the needs of the people and was itself overthrown, sending the region into hopeless darkness and suffering which lasted eight generations. Which goes to show Always watch dwarves bathing naked in streams. Dan Raymond was just a bumbling idiot who couldn't tell his ass from a toaster. Well, time to wash my ass in the shower. That's why when he died, no one cared. Huh. Dan Raymond died? Who cares? But when a family with no air fryer moves into his old house, one boy will discover a secret. Wow, this new house is cool. What's this? A ghost? That will send his life off the deep end. Don't wash your ass. What? Don't wash your ass. Okay then, I won't. This summer, get ready for an emotional tailspin of a lifetime. Are you showering? Yeah, Mom. Are you washing your ass? No, the ghost said I can't. Follow one boy's journey of self-preservation. Andy, you need to wash your ass. No. Then I'll wash it for you. Come here. No. Come on. Oh, wash your ass. Come on. I, come on. It's that's just enough. See the bond between boy and ghost like never before. It's getting harder not to, ghost. You don't want to die, do you? I guess not and experience the refuge of family counseling without insurance. And do you see this ghost in the room with us right now, Andy? No, he's at home. It tells him not to wash his ass. I don't want to die. You won't die.
Hi, Andy. Andy, just wash your ass. Sparks will fly, and flies will spark. You think electric shock therapy could help with him, Dr. Winky Farts? Electrocuting him is the best chance he's got. No, that's what we're trying to avoid. What? There really is a ghost? I told you. Too late. Ghost of my past. Dan Raymond can go fuck himself with a cactus edition. Alan coming to theaters May 16. Dr. Raymond Pants, Books on Tape on Demand is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.